Joining me on the program today is our good friend, Dr. Graham Pinn, and we're going to be discussing a somewhat unpopular topic, which is obesity, a condition that causes a wide range of health issues, one of the most serious of those being cardiovascular disease. A recent report by the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare estimated that two in three Australian adults were either overweight or obese. It also reported that the nation had the second highest rate of obese men among developed countries, placing us just behind the United States. We'll be taking a look at the postmodern lifestyle and how this affects what we eat, how we think, and how we deal with our problems. Dr. Pinn, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Nick. And obviously, America leads the way, as it does in most things in uh, the modern world. Not a statistic they'd actually like, but there it is. It certainly does. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but perhaps we could just start by defining a couple of terms. What qualifies as being overweight and what qualifies as being obese? Sure. Well, it's, it's a, an index called a body mass index, which is a height to weight ratio. And there is or there was uh, a standard range um, of body mass index, which was worked out at between 18 and 25. And if you were over that 25 to 30, you were overweight. And if you were more than 30, you were obese. Now, that, that was um, based at the time on the sort of uh, concepts of normality and I suppose in statistical terms, as as more and more people are overweight, the normal range progressively improve, um, slides towards the overweight range. And uh, so maybe these numbers, although they still apply in medical terms, don't really apply so much in terms of normality because the normal weight is, is moved to the more obese weight. That's just a statistical thing. Right. But um, certainly, uh, however you look at it, it, it's been a massive explosion in incidents. It's, it's an epidemic of its own. And um, certainly, in, in, I'm a pretty old bloke now. So when I was young, it was rare to see uh, anybody who was overweight on the street. And that was normally looked upon as a sign of wealth, as it is in, still in some other countries in the Middle East and in Asia, where obesity indicates wealth. So that's a positive sign but obviously as it's become progressively more and more its negative um, aspects have become apparent but in in the young days uh, certainly rather than being overweight the medical problems uh, to contend with were being underweight and um, uh, the problems of anorexia which was a big talking point in the women's magazines of 20 30 years ago has now been sort of buried under the opposite problem as the uh, the weight statistics get scarily bad and it's i think it's you pointed out the the proportion of um uh, not only this country but australia new zealand uk a lot of western countries have this major problem now but uh, i think equally concerning is the fact that it seems to be affecting younger and younger age groups and uh, one might have said that the original explosion in incidents perhaps related to smoking levels going down but we now have something like um, 30 percent of uh, uh, something like 30 percent of, of young adults being overweight and 10 percent of those being obese and even in uh, going into childhood and now toddlers and maybe a figure I saw recently was 17 percent of toddlers are overweight and this is sort of setting the seeds for future obesity and, and future health problems and loss of life expectancy. Just to zone in on obesity, uh, I imagine it, it's a spectrum like a lot of things. I, I ask that because, so I'm six foot five. I was a second rower. My, my sort of general weight is about 105. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I was indulging in a few too many business lunches. And I got up to around 118. And that registered me as being obese. Um, however, you know, if I was wearing a black shirt <laughs> or, a, or a, a suit, no one would, would think that. But this is more of a health measure, isn't it, rather than necessarily a physical appearance measure? Well, uh, yes, I think you're right. And, and we, we tend to think of obesity as the old blokes whose um, uh, beer bellies are sort of straining underneath the T-shirt. Uh, but um, there is no doubt that um, accumulation of weight in the abdomen, which is 
particularly a problem for males rather than females. And in old-fashioned terminology, weight accumulation in males has a sort of apple shape, whereas in females it has a sort of pear shape as it sort of sinks to the lower part of the body. But it's like that accumulation of fat in the midriff, not only on the outside, but more importantly on the inside of the abdomen, which leads to the predisposes to these health problems. Mm. So essentially, if you are starting to get into that category, whether you, um, whether you are, you know, visibly fat or not, isn't necessarily um, a predeterminer of um, a potentially underlying health condition in the future that could have quite serious effects on you. Well, I, th- I think I'm not sure if that's quite right. Um, okay. Uh, probably the uh, in modern um, medical uh, investigation, they do scans to actually quantitative, quantitatively measure your uh, intra-abdominal fat. But right. an old-fashioned tape measure actually does the job fairly well. And, and you know that um, as your waistband expands, you know what's occurring, even if it's not visible on the outside. And that is one of the problems, of course, of get, getting older. You you consume the same amount of calories that you did when you were younger, but your physical activity, when you're no longer praying in the second row, um, <clears throat> certainly goes down. So there's an imbalance there between intake and expenditure, and that's why um, weight accumulates in simple terms. I guess when we think of obesity, we think of the morbidly obese, the people in wheelchairs or who are getting craned out of a house but that's probably the very far end of it is it close to death that that's the extreme but even moderate degrees of excess weight certainly uh, do have their health consequences and you um we were talking briefly about um the downsides of being overweight overweight apart from the physical things like difficulty with movement and arthritis you have uh, blood pressure problems heart problems diabetes is becoming in of epidemic proportions to go with that weight gain and all these things will shorten the life expectancy as we've starting to see occurring already so we, we know the scale of the problem the the difficulty is of course what you do about it and uh, in in Simple terms, you read the ladies' magazines and every week there's a new dietary fad which is going to miraculously make your weight fall off. And sometimes they do actually lose a bit of weight, but it's impossible to keep these things going on a long-term basis. And you get bored and you revert back to your original habits. And there is some evidence that if you go on crash diets, then your weight overcompensates when you go back to eating normally again. I had years and years of uh, people telling me what their diets were and how little they ate, which was usually more than me. Um, But the old-fashioned diet, the simplest diet of all, is to eat what you enjoy eating, but eat less of it. And that's just a simple, smaller plate is a a recipe for long-term dietary restriction. I I guess the the tricky thing with these diets... um and perhaps what attracts us to these diets in the first place is uh, something that is perhaps beyond beyond the body, which is, of course, our mind. And we spoke about this off air, the correlation between stress and uh, weight gain and obesity. But it, it's quite a vicious cycle, isn't it? Because the stress potentially then and the anxiety and depression, which I'll ask you about now, uh, these are obviously byproducts of this as well, aren't they? Is it a chicken or egg situation? For sure, for sure. Um, but I think um, to certainly there's no doubt that being overweight causes stress. But uh, as we, I think we're starting to talk about the um, uh, increasingly the uh, weight gain problem is actually from an early, earlier, earlier and earlier age. Uh, before uh, there's no doubt that being concerned about your weight then makes the problem more difficult to resolve but um, a lot of the evidence increasingly accumulating is that um, overweight mums produce overweight babies who turn into overweight children and adults and a lot of that is is unfortunately 
There's not a great deal you can do about that, but just realize that there is a potential problem. Make sure that it doesn't develop. But weight gain um, at any age, I think, is concerning, particularly in the modern uh, social media system mm -hmm. whereby uh, p personal appearance has become almost um, <clears throat> you know, life, life controlling and, and certainly compounds the stress that it goes with that. Well, I read a statistic that one quarter of Australian children and adolescents are overweight or obese. Um, you know, you just mentioned the, um, the genetical side of it, but how much of it do we think is, is environmental? Is it a combination of both? Oh, for sure. I think, I think there are um, examples. Uh, the classic example is the Japanese population, which um, amongst the sort of developed Western type countries has a very low rate of obesity, uh, two or three percent, something like that. Um, so the question is that the genetic or is it environmental related to the diet but when the japanese migrate as large numbers have done to the us they tend to follow the same sort of us um, weight gain phenomena so there is obviously a dietary factor compounding uh, despite their apparent advantage in terms of not putting on weight is there a lot of research in terms of um, the ecology of Obesity. I ask that because I know that there's a lot of research around um, ecology of, of crime and ecology of uh, lower socioeconomic populations. Uh, we're, we're, we're most likely seeing that, I assume that uh, if mum and dad eat McDonald's, then the kids are going to eat McDonald's. Sure. Uh, that's difficult to uh, separate because um, also the the mother uh, is liable to be overweight and put on more weight in the pregnancy. So that, that's a starting point again. And the instance of larger babies is on the increase too. And that tends to go with the lower socioeconomic group as well. So um, I, I haven't seen and the only way you can really sort of sort that out is identical twin studies, uh, mm. twins brought up in different environments. And I haven't seen anything on that score. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's so much media at the moment around a virus that is killing far fewer people than cardiovascular disease and obesity. So wh what's going on here? Why is this such a taboo topic? Well, this is um, the media, isn't it? The media enjoy a, a good sensation, and um, if we if we sort of discuss the um, the concepts of stress in in terms of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, then then pestilence, the pale rider, is 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 the flavour of the month, and uh, um, unfortunately, because of political correctness, um, in more important issues like obesity are not possible to discuss without some sort of fat shaming, some sort of insulting, inappropriate behavior coming up. So people are increasingly in the obesity situation, not responsible for their own situation. That's part of modern life. It's quite a phenomenon, isn't it, that we are choosing to celebrate um, a deadly illness. And you'll see this by, you know, by definition, obese models on the cover of Vogue. And I come at this from a position of empathy. I don't, I don't laugh at these people. I think that it really is a bizarre phenomenon that's going to have some terrible consequences. Yes, well, the, the die is already cast, I think, in terms of the consequences. Mm, we have sure. this epidemic, which is going to shorten life expectancy and is going to create major medical problems. And, and to go with that sort of... Um, uh, attitude. I think the the concept is, as I, as I mentioned briefly, that uh, people who have this problem, a they don't accept it as being a problem, or if they do accept it as a problem, they don't accept that they should do anything about it to resolve the situation. And I, I spent some time in the military, and uh, in that situation, uh, particularly the army had to have a an annual fitness standard, and if they couldn't get to the standard, they were booted out. So. Weight reduction was um, an important part of keeping them in a job. And you can see that when you control the dietary intake and activity, you can have quite dramatic weight loss in that situation. You could lose um, three kilos in a week, uh, 12 kilos in a month was perfectly possible. Is that right? How, how, would, they, how would one go about that? By um, 
probably inappropriate in modern terms, uh, very strenuous activity and very limited food intake. Bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? That's, but that's only apl- applicable, obviously, to, fit, you know, to young people, and you couldn't apply that across the board. But even so, um, people want pills so that they can carry on with their lifestyle. They want to follow trendy diets, or failing that, if they're uncomfortable, then they want surgery so they can live their normal lifestyles again. And that has its own problems as well, obviously. So talk a bit about the, the surgeries that people um, seek. Well, in, in the early days, uh, as, a, as a, an example, there used to be a procedure called gastric stapling, where you basically put a, some, a row of staples across the stomach to reduce the size to maybe a, a quarter or less of its normal size. And in that stage, uh, I was examining the patients after surgery, and it was quite surprising how people could eat their way back into normal stomach size and and see the staples hanging in the breeze in the stomach um, where they'd burst through with their food intake. Nowadays, we've got more sophisticated procedures, but there are two types of procedure, really. The the first is um, unfortunately not particularly successful, um, and that's a similar sort of gastric reduction surgery. But that has something like a 70% failure rate because it doesn't alter people's eating habits, whereas the only successful procedure is, is, is a bypass operation where they bypass part of the bowel so food isn't absorbed. But that has major complications. And obviously, anybody who's significantly overweight has complications with an anesthetic and recovery from an operation anyhow. So surgery isn't the solution, I'm afraid. That won't no, stop it's... people trying it. No, it doesn't, and it doesn't stop people from doing other quite radical um, self-treatment therapies like smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yes, well, that's that's true, and that's that's there's been a minor resurgence of cigarette smoking, in, particularly in young females, from the perspective of, of uh, weight control, uh, and certainly um, the obesity epidemic has coincided with the reduction in the smoking epidemic. But unfortunately, we've swapped one set of medical problems for another one. Do you think that mental health is the the catalyst here for this? I, I ask I ask that, Dr. Pin, because in my work, volunteer work with um, in the mental health sector, there, there's a very high correlation between obesity and mental health, especially with things like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. I, I, I think... Um behavioural problems are very much on the increase and certainly um, just in passing part of these um, problems seem to start in in the school period when you can say it's the result of poor parenting or or, um, social circumstances uh, in the home but um, there's no doubt that uh, even as young as you know in childhood, um, the 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 incidence of um, behavioural problems now um, most of them given uh, fancy names like autism spectrum disorder or all those sort of things um, that have become a, a a small epidemic on their own. And as you say, the behavioural problems then lead to problems in schooling, which lead to problems with stress, which lead to problems with obesity. So there is a link between them. And unfortunately, um, one of the downsides of that situation as well, um, the government was recently going to look at the National Disability Insurance Scheme because of um, concerns about rotting. And one of the big concerns has been the labelling of children with poor behaviour as having some sort of disorder, mm. which then results in them parents having extra finance. So it's, it's, and, and the same can apply now the work situation to post-traumatic stress, which has become um, almost epidemic in itself. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if your pet dies, you can have stress leave to compensate for this. And it's an indication that um, uh, psychologically, I think we're less, more and more fragile in terms of our ability to cope. Those who listen to the program know that I like to, I like to um, form connections between what's going on in real life and, and what's happened on The Simpsons. <laughs> And there's a there's an episode, fantastic episode, where uh, Homer gains a uh, hundred pounds. He, he reaches three hundred pounds, so he can work from home and claim disability. Yeah. 
I don't want to suggest that that's what people are doing, but there, there is not. There's an incentive, which is the concern. I think it's the wrong message, and I don't know what governments do. They can, they can put out advertising campaigns, which nobody takes any notice of, uh, or they can fund people for the uh, in, in, inability that they have as a result of their obesity or their stress or their um, whatever upset they consider they've had. It's 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 a hugely difficult situation, but. It's the part of the modern outlook is that um, it's not the individual's fault. And uh, whether it's in weight terms, you go to see a dietitian or you um, you go to uh, have a surgery or if it's stress, you go and see a counsellor. Uh, all these things uh, offload the uh, uh, responsibility for the condition onto other people. And then that seems to be and the way it's going in the modern world and people are less and less prepared to take responsibility for their own lives. I believe that the advent of McDonald's selling salads was because an obese person sued them. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like suing your, your heroin dealer, isn't it? And it, and it's like um, signing up for a, a fitness um program with some gymnasium uh, and never going but expecting just because you've contributed financially that your weight is going to go down it's a similar sort of bizarre well, philosophy i can tell you right now i i've been the benefactor of, of several gyms over the years <laughs> there is there does seem to be in the last 10 years we've we've seen this obsession with food as well um cooking shows everywhere um Everyone's eating out. I think my, my my parents were telling me that when they were when they were growing up, um, there was one Chinese restaurant in the city, or something like that. Yeah. Now there's a uh, food from all over the world. Yeah. But the, the paradox is, uh, and again, this is, I suppose, there's a parallel with the gymnasium. You watch cookery programs uh, and. Uh, that means you don't have to cook yourself. So you, um, that's the, perhaps the paradox is that junk food consumption is going up and up while there are more and more voyeur-type cookery programs to keep people entertained. It's strange. I'm of a fairly libertarian mindset in that I, I, don't, I don't think there should be much of a, a level of government intervention when it comes to people taking responsibility for their, their own actions. But we now have... Uh, supermarket chains that have clear monopolies um, on produce and you know you only have to walk down these aisles to see uh, how much poison there is just everywhere yeah for sure but uh, they, they sell what people want to buy so again that's it's I'm not it's chicken and egg isn't oh, it? Yeah. Mm. and the advertising as well obviously is another part of it and um, recently there's been a push again to put some sort of tax on on the fast food side of things to reduce um, consumption and in many countries uh, they've tried to do a parallel thing with um, sugar tax and it, and it's invariably I don't there's any country where it's actually worked in terms of reducing sugar con consumption so uh, again it's the government is left holding the ball sort of thing but the ball bear and the, the person who's kicking the ball around um, is is the individual, and, and if they don't do something about their own problem, then it is very much their problem. Yeah, I draw and I draw parallels between sugar and tobacco, in the sense that both highly dangerous products um, when overconsumed, um, but you know it, they're they're available to purchase everywhere. We, we 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 really do have to take responsibility for ourselves because I, I can't see these as you said sugar tax didn't work and I really can't see the day coming where Woolworths and Coles are regulated. First of all, I I, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's problematic to have that a government that has that sort of um, power. But secondly, it's not going to be implemented effectively, and people are always going to find it for sure. Um, and I think. Uh, as we, we briefly touched on the um, food intake side of things, but there's also the calorie expenditure side of things. And it, it, it's, it's obvious to an old git again that um, with um, car parking spaces right outside wherever you want to go, if you had a car, which we didn't have, mm -hmm. um, nobody walks anymore. Um, 
stairs are all moving stairs so you don't have to go up and down children don't walk to school anymore because there's a pedophile behind every tree uh, at school <laughs> their, their physical activity uh, is, is easily avoided um, so their physical expenditure is much much less than it used to be plus of course their actual inactivity when they spend three or four hours a day on some sort of device then you're not burning up any calories at all unless you're jiggling your knee in style and so um, it all just compounds one thing on top of another in terms of the west you know you and i talk about this quite a lot on the program uh the west becoming or at least in Australia, becoming a very, very rich and decadent nation. Uh, there's no necessity to get off that chair, is there, when you can essentially just sit there and eat Cheetos and, and candy and get paid by the government. So in many ways, like tobacco, the government is facilitating this problem. Now, 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 now. <laughs> <laughs> you disagree? I don't agree with that. I don't think the government's facilitating it. I think they'd love to resolve the problem because the, it's, the economic cost is dramatic, both with work and medical conditions and future life expectancy. But, but the tax, Graham. <laughs> well, does it work? That's the question. But um, I, I, I think um, apart from the um, inactivity that the social media um, have instituted, the overlap again with uh, anxiety and stress um, is is a major problem because of uh, the social media network. And, and maybe if there's, if there's anything that can be done from that perspective, it, it's parental rather than governmental. For sure. uh, I think uh, reducing the time available to social media activity, particularly at night time when um, uh, children, when they're in their own bedrooms, uh, tend to... Uh, get onto the media and then their sleep's disturbed and their studies is disturbed, their behavior is disturbed, they become stressed. And, and uh, that's uh, a simple aspect, which I think is about parental control as well as parental dietary input. It's parental control of their activities as well. Look, I, I, I agree. I, I think that maybe I can elucidate on the, the comment of, of the facilitation. We're, we're experiencing now, I would say, um, unequivocally, a absence of parents, an absence of um, a family structure where you sit down and eat dinner. And those people that, that um, lack that um, parental structure in many cases turn to the government. And I think what I'm, I'm more getting at is that they're facilitating it through the um, expansion of the welfare state. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're to blame. No, I think, uh, as, as you said, it, it, it's rather than being, uh, it's, it's certainly not an encouragement, but it's not a discouragement either to uh, put your own house in order. And the, um, the uh, government is in a no-win situation. What can it do mm. to improve things? I think schooling is, is, is one controlling situation. You can do nothing about the um, increasing social dysfunction in the family unit as, as, as marriages break down and partners swap that doesn't actually um, help at all with any discipline in the home situation and discipline's lost in the school now as well. So mm. um, part of this sort of lost soul situation is, is, is I think, a, a factor in the um, lost soul um, adults that we see around the place despite the fact our, our quality of life is so much better than it was. Nobody's trying to kill us. There's, apart from this um, sort of pandemic sort of minor threat there's really nothing going on that should disturb us uh, but the media obviously pick up on this and when it when that sort of died down a bit they'll be back on the global warming apocalyptic sort of scenario so stress is um, pushed up there and stress leads to um, behavioral disorders and leads to uh, weight problems as well I, I saw a lovely um simple quote um I've never really had a great deal of time for psychiatry, but I can't remember who spoke this. But those who are living in the past are depressed. Those who are living in the future 
are anxious, anxious yeah. and those who are living in the present are at peace. And that, to me, is a, is a simple thing. How you achieve that um, resolution, I don't know. But stress is uh, <laughs> yeah, stress. Is. Stress and obesity are the two modern ailments. Uh, there was a, uh, an Australian cricketer of some note of the sort of 50s, 60s called Keith Miller. He was asked about the stress of facing up to, I think the West Indians were the uh, horror bowlers of the era. You know, they chucked down the ball at life-threatening speed. And he was asked about how he coped with the stress of facing up to um, the West Indian bowlers. And he said, well... I was a uh, Spitfire pilot in the Second World War, and when you're at 20,000 feet and you've got a Messerschmitt up your ass, that's when you're stressed. <laughs> Gold. It all needs to get back into perspective again, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I think that that quote that you read then is largely is the, um, the sole challenge of human beings at any stage through history, right, which is... Everyone is wanting to get into the present moment, whether it's the Buddhist, um, the meditator, uh, the drug addict, right? There's a, there's, there is that challenge. But I, I think that maybe to counteract that, the getting away from being depressed about the past is about resolving any of that anger and trauma that you have. And that anxiety, in my opinion, is accepting the fact that we're going to die. One of my little theories is that we're born and then at some point we, I imagine consciousness is a gradual thing, but at some point where we become aware that we exist. It doesn't happen on a Tuesday, <laughs> but we become aware that we exist. And then at, at, a, at a slightly later stage, we become aware that we're going to die. Um, I think for, for most people, that realisation is, is so scary that it gets jammed right down to the bottom of the unconscious where it sort of just bubbles away there like a little fire and i wonder if it's that fear of death that is actually the cause of a lot of our anxiety or at least the cause of um, you know fueling that anxiety so until we're able to accept the fact that there's going to be a day when we're hopefully surrounded by loved ones on a bed um, that's going to come and that's either going to be an extremely scary moment or it's going to be, as you said, use the word, it's going to be peaceful. Um, but of course, the challenge is in trying to live in that moment of peace as much as possible. And it's very difficult at the moment for, um, for many people. I think it's, it, it, it's more of a fear of failure and, and, and the, the concept of competition, which has um, become a dirty word in schools and uh, in, in life in general, the, the concept of uh, somebody having more ability than somebody else is becoming increasingly unacceptable. So fear of failure uh, is, um, uh, is, is an important factor. Well, sure, these are the surface level things, right? I guess what I'm saying is that um, beneath there is something that we are perhaps unaware of that creates anxiety because, I mean, look, at one point, presumably, we had anxiety because it was a fight or flight. There's a saber-toothed tiger. Get out of the way. Um, the saber-toothed tiger isn't there anymore, right? So we have to, we have to look for things. And failure, of course. I, I, I understand what you're saying and I agree. Um, this is a complex subject and there are many, many, many causes of anxiety, personal causes in people's lives. And, for, and this fear of failure right now, would you say that it's more present than it's been when you were growing up? I think for sure. I think um, we, we were presented with competition and you uh, overcame it or you accepted where you were in the uh, scheme of things, whatever it was. Now, buddy, and now studies have done, I think uh, going back to the 60s, they, they did a survey of um, uh, children or adolescents about to go to university and uh, asked what percentage of them thought they were special and it was something like 10% in that era it's now something like 89 90% of adolescents think they are special and entitled and what's the definition of special there <laughs> the world revolves around you perhaps rather than you you know the old uh, jfk thing it's right it's not 
what you can do for your country. It's what your, it's not what your country can do for you. It's what you can do for your country. The different sort of sense of entitlement uh, that goes with the modern era, and it it it's destructive, I think, because it encourages you not to uh, address your failings because you're never told that you have any failings. Yeah, that 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 must be problematic. Um, I guess maybe I'm. I'm a 36-year-old living in a 90-year-old's mind if I'm, <laughs> if I'm thinking about my piece on the deathbed. Uh, the other thing with anxiety is now that I, I'd love, love your take on this because um, you grew up in an era that was almost like another dimension in terms of not having um, social media and the internet and any of that. I often yearn for a time machine to kind of go back to the 50s or 60s or 70s um, where the phenomenon of social media and the internet didn't exist. So presumably there's very little going on in the mind about other things in the world and other people apart from who's close to you. Is that fair? I think your, your social media was uh, very much uh, restrained to uh, the newspapers and the radio, which in that era did not have... Um, presenters who gave their own opinion they just presented the facts and and let you to chew your own fact and there was very little sensationalism involved i mean there's just so much difference but if, but if you think of the quality of life circumstances um uh, there were there was starvation there, there was epidemic disease i mean when i fast first started on the ward in the 60s there was still scurvy there was still tbs mm. there was still rickets these diseases of another life if you like were still around so and yet i i get the impression that people were a lot happier because they didn't have the problems of uh, they just they knew where they were in the scheme of things they knew what their job was they knew where their family was they knew what entertainment they had available and it was a far more simple life. And because your expectations were lower, um, they were far more achievable. There are studies about how much social media use contributes to anxiety levels, right? Presumably now that almost everyone, uh, almost everyone is on their phones all the time. So we can perhaps make an assumption that a large percentage of that population is experiencing some of that anxiety. Uh, or as a result of that activities. As a result, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. That's better. Um, so we're kind of maybe we're idling, you know, maybe we were, our anxiety was idling at around a two in the 60s and 70s, the average person that didn't suffer a medical condition from that. Um, but now we're kind of idling a bit higher. I think there are um, similes here with uh, mobile phone addiction to drug addiction, really, with withdrawal, the... Uh, behavioral problems that occur um, and the insecurity that occurs when, you know, there was, uh, what's it called? Um, nomophobia, when you have no mobile phone contact, that was a, a word of the year recently. <laughs> and, uh, and the other one, which again is in a parallel, is, is FOMO, fear of missing out. So when, you, when you're having to spend four or five hours a day on your phone, then A, your your attention span is, is affected, your behavior is affected, your ability to do more important things is affected. Uh, and all these um, aren't constructive, they're de destructive aspects, spending so much of your time on activity that doesn't really advance anything. It either makes you feel better or worse, but it doesn't actually do a great deal to improve your lot. Well, that's probably a good segue here. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to just do a couple of little role plays here. I'm the patient. I know that... I'm uh, a very bad doctor. <laughs> Dr. Pin, I can't get off my mobile phone. I wake up, it's the first thing I look at. It's the, it's the last thing I look at. What, what can I do? Um, well, because I'm an old individual uh, who doesn't exist on a mobile phone, I would... I would uh, I couldn't cope in the modern environment, but I'd just say go on holiday for a week and leave it behind and see how, how your um, life changes. And I had an example of that just recently, the son of a friend of mine who 
um, sort of late teens, the usual sort of grunting adolescent boy of that era who didn't communicate with parents, who who went away for a month to some sort of uh, school-organised boot camp sort of thing uh, where everything had to be done by themselves. They were in the middle of nowhere, no telecommunications. Just learn how to talk to people again, learn how to fend for yourself, learn how to socially interact. Uh, and I came back a month later a totally different young man. So I think there, right? all, there, there, there are um, undoubted uh, brain scans will show that the damage can be done to the frontal cortex, which is important for personality and also to the hippocampus, which is important for your memory. So memory fading is another part of this phenomenon. So uh, certainly it, it's an addiction and um, it's an addiction which may be like smoking. I don't know. The only way of stopping it is to stop it and uh, uh, and go through the cold turkey period. The problem is, I think, for young people, that their, their social networking is now hooked on it, that they are then uh, left out in the cold from whatever is going on. So I don't know how you manage that. Fortunately, it's not my problem. <laughs> well, I... I I would say um, for myself, so I, I, I hate my... I've just finally come to the end. Next month, I'll come to the end of my smartphone contract. And like cigarettes, maybe this is a novel approach, but uh, so I went to a vaporizer, which I then plan on after a year, I want to ditch that. So I was thinking maybe I'll go from my iPhone 10 back to a flip phone. Yeah. Make, make make it less user-friendly so that you're less likely to use it the same amount. I mean, how many hours a day do you spend on your phone? The, 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 the worst figure I saw for, for young adolescents was a total, and then that's with all screens, with learning and television and, and media, of 44 hours a week, which that's six hours a day on average. That's scarily addicted. So, At the very least, that must be terrible for the eyes. Eyes and brain, yeah, and uh, uh, social interactions, and it 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 is sad when you you you, you would see it as well. This is an old get talking, but uh, when my son Nick was uh, involved in the in the uh, triathlon down in Malulabar, there was a totally different crowd assembled there um, uh, to support the races. There were all young again, but they were not obese and they were not on their mobile phones and they were not covered in tattoos. So uh, there is still a significant proportion of the population who I think there is hope for rather than at all gloom and doom, although there's a lot of gloom and doom. Well, Doctor, that brings me to uh, the second reason why I'm, I'm at your surgery today. And look, I, I don't have tattoos, but I'm uh, morbidly obese um, now. I'm willing to take responsibility for that. I don't blame McDonald's. I don't think it's healthy for me to be on the front cover of Vogue. And I really want to start to get rid of some of this weight because I want to live longer for my kids. What can I do? I think, um, first of all, well, if you're young, then obviously you're able to exercise. So that's an important part of your program. And Exercising not only um, with the uh, gym or whatever your favorite activity is, but also by parking your car further away from your workplace, by using the stairs instead of the lift, by <clears throat> just generally much more walking, every little helps. And once you get over the sort of uh, initial discomfort of bits of the body that haven't been used for a long time coming back into gear, then the psychological uh, pluses of uh, physical exercise compensate for a, a lot of the uh, negatives of, uh, of your um, dietary restriction. And once you get to pass that vicious cycle stage and reverse the cycle, that's good. I think otherwise, it's really a matter of having a serious look at your diet and seeing where you're going wrong and seeing if there are any simple changes that would make a difference. Um, uh, uh, and uh, if, if so, um, if failing that, as I discussed, maybe just eating uh, on a smaller basis. As I've got older, I've progressively reduced the, the, the amount I take into my uh, take in on a regular basis. I don't have breakfast. I don't have morning tea. Uh, I don't have sugar in my drinks anymore, all these things. Uh, I still like a bottle of wine, but that's the main calorie concern. But you you can adjust your diet around your, your um, to have some satisfaction in your life. But uh, unfortunately, most people or few people are prepared to put the time in. If you're motivated, and I've seen 
people who are motivated by, for example, having heart attacks uh, and the motivation is there to stop stop smoking and to reduce calorie intake. Sadly, even under those situations, a lot of people forget the death threat that they've had and uh, return to their old comfortable lifestyle because that's what they're used to. Okay, so it seems that for those people that are listening that maybe aren't at the stage of, of getting to a gym or running yet, maybe the short-term and mid-term and then long-term plans and actually mapping that out might be of some benefit. For example, you mentioned um, just two things that you can have short wins on right first, like walking to the station, walking home from the station, um, and, and building that up. Is that is that the idea? It's a matter of self-discipline as much as anything and getting into a a new routine and uh, whether you want to invest to get something out of it. But uh, I I do think it's uh, uh, to some extent, and this is being totally negative from my experience, um, once you get past sort of middle age, then I think your chance of uh, achieving anything by dietary measures is very small. uh, And I think the emphasis should be, if the government's going to put money into this, as I mentioned, is is making sure that um, the maternity situation is strongly emphasised. I mean, smoking in pregnancy is now almost, uh, well, it's a rarity, but the weight gain in pregnancy or starting a pregnancy um, when you're at an appropriate weight, that, that that's not a message that's been emphasised. and. Then also in the school period of uh, before reaching middle age, those are the moments when uh, the message is likely to get through. And uh, that's not the emphasis at the moment, I think. Okay. Well, if you have a mobile phone addiction and you're overweight, take a holiday. Don't go on a cruise where you can eat the buffet, but take a holiday um, and... Go to a boot camp. Dr. Pinzer, he's a hard love, tough love doctor, and I like that. Indeed. Uh, but ultimately, it's about taking responsibility for ourselves, isn't it? Oh, for sure, and in so many aspects of life. And uh, unfortunately, as as the welfare state becomes progressively more and more invasive as our uh, way of life in all aspects, um, there's less and less of an incentive to do so. It's um, a problem. Turning back the clock's not easy. It's not, and neither is turning back the scales, but it's doable. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to touch on, Dr. Pin? Uh, I, I, I think one, one thing, we, and, and maybe you know more about this than, than myself, but uh, uh, again, as part of the um, overall management of stress and weight problems, there's, there's an increasing tendency. I, I didn't actually touch on one of my pet it hates, which is the concepts of counselling. Now, you've probably gotten far more experience of this than myself, but I've been totally unimpressed by uh, people offloading their problems onto counsellors whenever there's any sort of um, uh, hiccup in their life and uh, expecting the counsellor to put their lives correct. And again, if I can um, relate to another story about counsellors, this this. Um, relates to uh, an English sailor of yesteryear, a man called Tony Bullimore, who was renowned a few years back by regularly turning his boat upside down in the Great Southern Ocean and having to be rescued. Have you heard of this guy? No. He was once um, upside in, in, in his boat upside down in the middle of the Southern Ocean for several days, not sure whether he was um, anybody who had heard his rescue call, whether anybody was going to save him. And he was eventually rescued and, and brought back to land to Australia. And uh, there was a, the interviewer was talking to him about his, his, his dreadful experience and you know the experience of being a near-death experience and thought he should um, he would probably benefit from going to see a counselor to sort of get over his post-traumatic stress sort of thing and he said in his west country accent no thanks i'd rather have a beer <laughs> so different philosophies i think that there is certainly something something to that we're seeing um a real prolificity in in counseling and psychologists i leave psychiatrists to the side i understand your opinions there are certain um times when a life can be saved. For sure. But a good psychiatrist, I believe, will not rely on medication. For Uh, sure. I'm a bit biased here because I'm Catholic, but one of the most beneficial things I've found 
um, for me is is what's commonly called confession, right? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful concept. Yeah, it's a free, it's a great way to get free counselling and advice. And some some of these priests are incredible people. Um, So look, I I think reconciliation is a fabulous thing, and I'm sure that. If you're not Catholic, you could duck into the booth and get some free advice. I'm sure that they don't, they don't appreciate me saying that, but <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm sure you're right. I'm I'm sure part of the reason that uh, our society is so prone to stress and anxiety is that we've lost that sort of inner faith in 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 God that uh, supported people through thick and thin, and that's not there anymore. And there's there's nothing really to replace it apart from all sorts of weird activism in different causes. So that's absolutely, been, I'm absolutely. sure there's a connection there without doubt. You know, that's another important factor. Oh, it's a huge factor. And the, there's a, there's a, there's actually a rejection of, of God. Ironically, um, the people that have perhaps the largest God shaped hole in their heart, um, are not understanding the importance of spirituality and the importance of a Christian spirituality in a healthy Western world. And even pre-Christ, you know, Socrates spoke at length about um, eudaimonia and and the, um, the pursuit of happiness and what makes a full happy person. And this was very spiritually grounded. Yeah, we we don't we nurture our bodies, uh, over nurture our bodies, but don't nurture our souls in the way that they need it. And uh, um, quite agree with you. Isn't that interesting that we there's there's an obsession with the body, yet here we are talking about obesity. That's a paradox. But, but yeah, it is a paradox. Um, and I think that hopefully um, uh, this culture will return to a place where we we appreciate our history and roots. And as you said. People were probably happier in the, the 60s and 70s. And look, maybe I can't prove it, but certainly Christianity, was church attendance was a lot higher. Um, not even just church attendance, just a... Well, it was there, wasn't it? For sure. And uh, I'm, I'm not a follower, but I, I'm a strong believer in the Christian ethic. And that's another whole um, topic of discussion, I suppose, how the Christian ethic is... is or the Christian church is being undermined um, for all sorts of reasons, whereas other religious tenants are given the free ride. It's as if the um, the left-wing media uh, are out to bully Christianity into submission, forgetting all the good things that it's provided for society in general. Absolutely. I'm chomping at the bit to get into this, but I want to save this. Maybe in the next week or two uh, for listeners, we'll, we'll talk about Christianity and and. and and what we've just spoken about in terms of its rejection. But let's perhaps finish it there. Great conversation. I've, I've learned a lot, and I hope that people listening have learned a lot, and there are a few takeaways. It's always uh, a pleasure to have uh, an opportunity to, to, to vent the old git, Git's view of the world. So thank you, Nick. Well, we, we on this show don't see you as an old Git, more a repository of wisdom. It may be an old git with a repository of wisdom. (laughs) No worries. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye.